James and Wendy and team, thank you for sweet, a sweet time of worship. We love you. We're grateful for you. Yeah. No, yeah. yeah. All right, we're going to start this morning with a little quiz. Uh, the winner of this quiz will, could win up to uh, $10,000. Could win up to. What is the name of our denomination? EPC, right, what's that stand for? Ah, yes, all right, I think the win, I'll pay you guys in Mexico when we show up. We don't have popes in the EPC, but we do have a stated clerk, uh, the head honcho, and, uh, and this guy works hard for us, leading us, but also protecting us in a time when, when our uh, religious liberties are really at risk. I am delighted to tell you that Dr. Jeff Jeremiah and his beautiful wife, Cindy, are worshiping with us today, and I want you to greet them this morning. We all call Jeff your holiness, but um, you can just call him Jeff. Well, we are well into our New Year sermon series on prayer. The the series is called Intercede, and we've been inviting us to just not talk about prayer, but actually pray. And I know you all pray, but this is a little hot. Bring me down, please. I know you all pray, but I mean, I want us to be uniting our hearts as a church and praying together about the same things. And so we prayed for the Big C Church and for, for the nation and for our city. And last week we prayed for marriages. I shared a really remarkable statistic. I challenged you, pray for marriage and pray for your own marriage if you're married. And I shared a statistic with you. Remember, what is the statistic of divorce among those who pray together daily as a married couple? How many end up getting divorced as a percentage? Remember, 1%. 1%. And so I challenge you to be among the 99% who begin to learn what it means to pray together daily and to strengthen and protect your marriage. So I ask you to do that this week. That was my challenge to you this week. And so I want to ask how many of you couples prayed together this week? Raise your hand. All right, good. Keep them up. How many prayed? How many prayed more than once together? All right. Here's a here's a real challenging one. How many prayed? Would anyone admit that they prayed together for the first time as a couple? Anyone do that? Thank you for sharing that. That's awesome. We had three three guys in my family in my life group that shared that they prayed together for the first time with their for their wives. Listen. That is awesome. You know it's going to be a better thing if, the, if we begin to pray together. So I'm proud of you, men particularly. I know you pulled on your big boy pants. And so I'm proud of you for stepping up and, 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 and being, being a part of that. This week I want us to pray for kids. I want us to lift up our children. And the text I've chosen comes out of Mark chapter 10. This is a story you're familiar with that actually appears in all three of what we call the synoptic gospels. That's the first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Mark's reading is my favorite a little bit longer, but he misses something that Matthew includes it, so I cheated and put it in brackets. You'll see a little couple of words that Matthew includes. I want us to to do something that the ancient church does and has done for a long time, and and that is we're going to stand for the reading of the gospel, and I'll invite you to be the readers today. So turn your attention to the screen, and let's read God's word together. Ready, set, go. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them and pray, And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, 
whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Holy Spirit, would you take these words which we have now recited, would you put them in our heart that we might know your desire, your purpose for us as your disciples. For we pray it through Christ our Lord. Amen. Have a seat. We have a friend, in, I have a, a friend in our church who was telling me of a, a recent uh, trip to the restaurant. They took their kids to the restaurant to have a bite to eat. The food was delivered to the table, and they bowed their heads as it's their custom to pray grace over the food, to say thanks for the food. While they, he was praying, a man walked over to the table and said, child abuser. And the, obviously it disrupted his prayer. He stopped, he opened his eyes, said, what are you talking, a lot, uh, uh, what are you talking about? And he said, uh, you are indoctrinating your kids with religious lies. That's child abuse. How screwed up has our culture become that praying for our children would be considered child abuse? I'll, I'll dare say that not praying your child, for your children is abuse. Not praying for your children is, is neglect. And our kids need our prayers. If ever they did, they need it today with what they face in schools, with what they face in TV, with what they face on their dumb, dumb, dumb phones... If you are not praying for your children and your grandchildren and your grandnieces and nephews and any kids that are part of your life that matter to you, then you're leaving them defenseless to a very wicked and and cruel world. The picture that we have of Jesus today, we actually kind of see it as a warm thing. It's actually a, a, a harsher kind of a story. And, and you get the idea of it when you understand the context of it. So I want to give you some background and a couple of Greek words and, and help you to understand why this is really a much kind of almost a violent kind of an encounter that, that we read about today. In Jewish society, first of all, you need to know this. Children were considered to be adults in waiting. They weren't considered cute or precious. They weren't to be coddled or loved or doted upon. Children were be, to be tolerated until they finally grew up and finally became productive, productive members of society. That's, that's hard for us to imagine. We who love, I mean, I'm sitting in front of mom and dad as they're just holding on to their precious little one. But that was kind of the job of moms, but really especially for dads. It was just hurry up and grow up so you can be worth something. That's a harsh kind of a reality. And it was particularly true for rabbis. Rabbis' jobs were to convey their wisdom to the adult world, really the adult men of the world. And the idea that rabbis would have time to spend with silly kids was unthinkable. And so when the disciples, and the disciples assumed that their rabbi, Jesus, also wouldn't have any time for kids. And they couldn't have been more wrong. The text uh, tells us that they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And Matthew adds, and pray. They were bringing children to him that he might touch them and pray. Who's the they? Probably parents. And, and why would parents have broken with the societal norms which said rabbis don't mess around with children? Why would they have thought to do that? Well, it happens that this part of Gospel of Mark, is a, it's kind of a, a kid-friendly section. Because you look back in the very last, just the last chapter before, chapter 9, we see two things that are all about kids. There's a, a man who brings his son who is a demoniac filled with evil spirits. He brings him to Jesus and Jesus delivers this boy for, for his daddy. 
And then later on in that same chapter, Jesus is talking about what it means to be great, the greatest in the kingdom. And we read him say that this took place. And he took a child and put put him in the midst of them. So he's got a big crowd of people. He grabs a kid, picks him up, plumps him down in the midst of him, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. So even in a culture where children truly, truly were to be seen and not heard, these parents began to have a hope that maybe this Rabbi Jesus was different. Maybe if he would welcome a demoniac boy, maybe if he would make a kid the center of his sermon illustration, maybe this rabbi would be one who would be willing to bless their child. And what parent doesn't want Jesus to put his blessing upon their child? And so they stepped up very courageously. But the disciples kind of saw themselves as the bouncers outside of an elite dance club, right? You can come in. No, you can't come in. So they were going to be the ones who decided they had access to Jesus and who did not. And certainly, kids weren't going to have access. The word that is used to describe the response of the disciples to those parents is they rebuked them. It sounds harsh enough in English, but it's not nearly as harsh in English as it is in Greek because that very same word is used to describe the way that Jesus spoke to evil spirits when he cast them out. So in other words, the disciples said to those parents, go away. Jesus doesn't have any time for you. Get out of here and stop wasting his time. It was a very harsh uh, encounter. But it was nothing compared to the way Jesus responded. Because we are told that Jesus responded, and it was, we are told he was indignant. That word, that's the only time that word is used to describe Jesus in all of the Gospels. And it's kind of saved. It's a especially harsh word because what it means is he was ticked. He wasn't just, I'm going to brood about this, stew about this tick. He was, I am going to let you have it ticked. And so when we listen to what he says to them, this is really a tongue lashing. And we ought to hear from Jesus to his disciples who were cowering off to the side in in that kind of way. Here's what Jesus said. You let those children come to me. Don't you dare hinder them because the kingdom of God belongs just like to these. And if you do not receive the kingdom like a child, you will not even get in, you bozos. The bozos part is, I'm I'm sure it's in there in the original Greek. If this passage doesn't give you the idea of how precious children are to Jesus, then I'm not sure I can help you. And I think God loves it when this place throbs with children. Don't you? I I think it it matters to him. During upward basketball, if you show up at night, you can't even find a place to park because we've got 400 kids and all of their cheering parents that are here. Chapel Hill is hopping with kids. And God help us if that is ever not the case. My friend Art, who's one of the elders in our church, he had knee surgery recently, and he came to me and said, do you think it'd be all right if I came and walked around the church? Because it's wet outside, I need to exercise, and I need someplace that's kind of quiet and safe. I said, sure. He came during preschool. (laughs) He said he almost got knocked down about 14 times. His cane kept, kids are running by knocking his cane out of the way. Wasn't very safe, so have it, Go, go ahead, Art, enjoy yourself. But... I have a friend in my life group who said that one of his joys is walking into the church and finding the hallways filled with the love and laughter and shrieks of children. 
If you do not share that opinion, you have two choices. You can either pray that God will change your hard hearts, or you can go find a quieter church. And I guarantee you there are plenty of them out there. They're quiet, they're neat, they're not messy, and they're dead, dead, dead. May God fill this church forever with the laughter, the sounds, the shrieks of kids. You've heard the expression, children are the church of the future. How many have heard that expression? I hate that expression. That's a terrible expression. When you say that, you're saying the very thing that the Jews believed about kids. When they grow up, they'll become important. Right now, they're just kind of placeholders. They're not the church of the future. They are the church of right now. You are the church of right now, as surely as your older brothers and sisters are. That's what we mean about covenant family. That's what we mean when we baptize kids into the, into the faith. They are a part of the covenant family of God. So don't ever let me hear you say that. And if Jesus' words teach us anything in the story, they teach us that. Jesus loved these kids and he, and he welcomed them to himself. And then it was some, that he did something that's quite interesting, and I never had noticed it as I did in the text this week as I was studying it. Uh, and that is he touched them. I wanted to, I, you'll find it actually three times in the story, reference to the touch of Jesus. They brought him to him that he might lay hands on them. That's at the beginning. And then at the end we read, he took them in his arms and he blessed them and laying his hands on them. Touch, touch, touch. This was also countercultural. In Jewish society, there are all kinds of things that you didn't touch. Because if you did touch, it made you unclean, ceremonially unclean. And especially if you were a rabbi. But Jesus was a toucher. And he even touched unclean things. And all you got to do is look back into the earlier chapters to see it. Jesus touched a leper. There's not much more unclean than that. Jesus allowed himself to be touched by a woman who had had an issue of blood hemorrhaging for 12 years. That was unclean. And then Jesus went from that encounter to the house of Jairus into the back room. And he touched a dead little girl and raised her to life. Again and again Jesus was touching unclean things. It did not bother him. Children are not ceremonially unclean. They're just unclean. I was holding Reed Hackman yesterday uh, and just talking to him, giving him a kiss. He's looking at me, looking at me. He goes, <laughs> and he, the full Monty, baby, full frontal assault. So a couple days from now, we'll see the results of, of that. Snotty noses and smelly diapers and filthy hands. And Jesus wrapped his arms around that snotty, smelly, filthy bunch and drew them to himself. Touch conveys something. It says that you are precious to me. You matter to me. So you will see me touching kids and fist pumping kids on, in the morning when they walk by. Why? Because I want them to know their pastor loves them. They matter to me. Keep that in mind. And we're going to talk about that later on in my message. I want you to notice that after Jesus touches, we are told that there were two spiritual transactions that took place. Matthew tells us that he prayed for them. And that's what we've been talking about. He interceded for them. He lifted up these kids before the Lord. He prayed for their needs, lifting them up to the Heavenly Father. And I pray, I hope that there's not a child in this church who goes to bed at night, but what they have, one of their parents at least kneels down and prays over those kids before they go to bed. I, pr I pray that that would be so for every single child in this church. Those were among the most precious of my moments as a, as a dad, to kneel down at night and to pray, to lift my children up before uh, the Lord. I have a, a friend who shared with me that although he sometimes has trouble praying with his wife, and so many men do, 
Praying with his kids has not been a problem. That he has made that one of their rituals. And they've reached a point where if dad doesn't come pray, they're, they're restless. They can't even fall asleep until they've, they've experienced the prayers of their daddy over them. So my first challenge to you is simply this. Make this part of your life's ritual. Make this a precious ritual for you every day. Go in at night, kneel beside the bed, touch them as the Lord Jesus did, and then pray for them. And if you don't know, and don't please not that now I lay me down to sleep stuff. I mean, that's fine. But pray something real for them. Let them hear the prayers of their parents over them. And if you don't know how to, how to go, then I'll ch- suggest four S's. Four S's. Here they are. Salvation, significance, spouse, and safety. I've got those on the insert there. Salvation, significance, spouse, and safety. First of all, pray that your kids will come to know Jesus. We baptize them into the faith, but there needs to come a point where they confirm what you have done on their behalf. Pray that these children will come to know the love of Christ. Significance. I don't mean by that success... We are too obsessed with success as far as the world is concerned. I don't care about that. I want them, rather, to be significant in the sight of the Lord. By that, I mean that they become the person God has created them to be. Or, in another way, that that the mission of our church is fulfilled in their life, that they will be presented mature in Christ. So the gifts they have, the anointings they have, the way they were created, all of that will come to fruition in them, that God would have his way in and through them. Significance. Spouse. That may seem a little bit weird. In fact, when I used to pray that way over my kids, they would both giggle. When, when Cooper finally figured out what it was I was praying about when I prayed for his wife, he would just giggle. But think about this. Is there any decision apart from following Christ that is more significant, that has more to do with whether they're going to have heaven on earth or hell on earth than the person they married? Wouldn't that be a good thing for you as parents to begin to invest some prayer time into the future spouse of your children, that they will love Jesus, that they will follow Christ, that they will be the perfect fit, the, the companion, the, the oneness that we talked about last week? How can you possibly leave something that important to fate, to chance? So pray for their spouse. And finally, pray for safety. I don't mean by that that we should pray they never have bumps and bruises. The Scriptures teach us that God teaches a lot by going through bumps and bruises in life. But Jesus did teach us to deliver us, he, to pray, deliver us from evil. Deliver us from evil. And so then that is the sense in which I'm praying for safety, that, that we would recognize that we have an enemy who wants to destroy our children and a culture that is working hand in hand with the evil one, and we're going to pray that God would protect them. Right now, Cindy and I have challenged our whole family. We're praying through the armor of God, Ephesians chapter 6. So we check with our kids each day, and we're praying through putting on every piece of the armor of God in chapter 6 because we need to be armored up against the attacks of the enemy. By the way, and I'll just throw this in since I maybe have not made everyone mad yet. Um, If if you have given your uh, child a smartphone and you have not taken steps to put any kind of filters or restrictions on it, then you have invited that evil right into their bedroom. And I, I, would, I would admonish you to reconsider that. For what it's worth, our kids never even had a smartphone until they were in college. And when they had their dumb phones, they went on the kitchen table at night. I know it sounds barbaric to some of you. You, can hardly, you don't even want me to go to Mexico because I'm such a, a barbaric dad. But, you know, they survived. They're doing okay uh, as a result of that. So I just throw that out to you. Salvation, significance, spouse, and safety. Those would be three great starting points for you. But here's what's interesting. Jesus actually has two spiritual interactions with them after he touches them. One is prayer. What was the other? 
Yes, he blessed them. Did you see that? The language of blessing. And I want to talk about that. Blessing is different than prayer. Prayer is directed to God. Prayer is interceding for the Lord, taking our concerns, our needs, our confessions uh, to, to God. Ble- blessing is a pronouncement of salvation and hope and biblical affirmations, a pronouncement of them on others, over others, in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Spirit. That's the other part. It's different then. And I'm telling you, there is power in pronouncing blessing over your children. The benediction that I do at the end of every service, that's not a prayer. It's a blessing. That's why I say keep your heads up, keep your eyes open, raise up your hands because you want to receive every good thing that God might want to bring from that blessing. Our children need to hear the blessing of their parents. And dads, I will tell you this particularly. I am convinced that one of the most powerful forces in the world is the power of the words of blessing from a father over his kids. There's something about women. They are born with the ability, the grace to bless. That's what they do. But guys, it's harder for us. And so I challenge you to rise up to this because you do not know how much your words can mean. Well, what do those words look like? What are the words of blessing? I'll take us back to Mark chapter 1. Because we hear blessing from a father to a son. And in this case, it's a pretty important father. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus was baptized. Do you remember? And when he was done being baptized, we are told that a voice of heaven spoke. It was God the Father. He he spoke over Jesus and he spoke these words. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. Those are words of blessing. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. Now, I want you to think about this. If God the Father knew that his son, Jesus, needed to hear, hear his verbal praise, affirmation, affection... If God the Father knew that Jesus needed blessing, how much more do your children need to hear that from you? I want to just take a quick look at what those, the pieces of that. And just again, these are silly little memory aids, but I want to help you remember them. Triple A, triple A, just like the, the insurance whatever company, the car thing. Triple A, adoration, affection, and affirmation. First of all, adoration. I really never looked at it as closely as I did this week, but God says you are my you are my. That's, that's a word of, of possession, a word of belonging, and not in, a, not in a critical way, but in a word of adoration. Basically, God was saying, you belong to me. You are my precious son. You are my precious son. I'm so glad you are my kid. The, the first word of adoration is, is an affirmation that you are mine. I am so glad you are a part of this family. You belong to me. You are my son. You are my daughter. Then there's the second one is affection. You are, God said to his son, my beloved son. You are my beloved. In other words, I love you. I love you. Every child longs to hear the words, I love you. And not just actions. You can't say them enough. Actions aren't enough. I'm still astounded by the number of men as I've taught men's life over the years. When I ask how many have never heard your father say the words, I love you, you will not be, you would be astounded how many raise their hands up. 60%, sometimes 70% in a room have never heard the words, I love you from their dad. They'll go on to say, well, I knew he did. Yes, you know he did. But if Jesus needed to hear, I love you from his dad, do you not think that our kids need to hear those words? So I love you. Men, especially I call upon you to break the chain of that lack of communication. Step up to it and tell your kids out loud what you already feel. I love you. And then finally, affirmation. 
with you I am well pleased. What is that if not God saying, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. You are such a good boy. Every child blossoms when they hear their parents offer words of praise and encouragement and affirmation. And it, and it ought not to be performance-based. I mean, obviously, if they get good grades, you want to say good job and, and great job out there on the football field. But really, you don't want your praise to be dependent upon their performance. What you want to do is to begin to spot the qualities in them that God is creating and calling forth and, and call those out. I have a belief that what you bless, you multiply. You get more of what you bless. So if you see a, an act of mercy in your child that night, you call it out. I wanna, I'm so proud of you. I saw the merciful way that you treated your sister today. If you want to multiply that behavior, bless it. I saw the courageous way that you stood up to your friend today. I'm really proud of you for that. Bless it, and you will multiply it. So these things, that's, that's simple. The, the blessing, adoration. I'm so glad that you're my kid. Affirmation, I love, uh, uh, affection, I love you. And affirmation, and I am so proud of you. You pray for your kid at night, and then when you're done, make it a separate ritual. Then move your hands to their head and say, you are my precious kid. I love you, and I'm so proud of you. They will never hear enough of that. They will lean into that, and they will come to depend upon it like, like honey, like the milk of life. You have no idea what you could be giving to them. So you're going to find all of those notes on your insert. We're trying to give you tips and guides that will help you with this. And so my challenge to you is do it! Go home tonight and, and kneel down next to your kids' beds and pray with them and then touch them on their forehead and, and pronounce these words, I, you are my kid and I love you and I'm so proud of you. And if your kid's gone, my wife made this suggestion, such a great idea, text them a blessing. Text them a blessing. And, and you'd see what kind of a response that gives. And even if you don't get a response, it doesn't matter. You're not doing this for response. You're doing this to bless them. So text that. And if you don't have kids, you don't have grandkids, you don't have nieces, well, you've got plenty of rugrats around here. And so this is what I would like you to do today. Before you leave, I want you to touch the head of at least one child and say, Jesus loves you. That's happened after the first service, and all these kids are walking around saying, what is all these people t- touching me? But I want that not just for today, but for week after week after week. Let this be a place where parents, where spiritual parents reach out and touch and bless and claim them as their own. You want to build a strong church. You want to maintain a strong church. Then you let the kids experience that kind of family and love. And I'll tell you what, Katie, bar the door. God's going to do some great things.